and uh, not knowing what to say to the college students. It was a wonderful opportunity, but someone handed me this book by Dr. Seuss, and uh, it's, it's entitled, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And if uh, you've graduated from anything here at Harvest, you probably have gotten one of these hand-signed. But this is such a, this, this, this book is almost a sermon in itself. And so today we're just going to incorporate a part of this into the message, and we want to dedicate this to Miss Hannah. Graduated with honors, is looking at, is looking at art school, is looking at art school. How cool is that? We'll add some artists to our, our plethora of people who are so talented around here. But I'm going to share this with Hannah. Hannah, we are, we are so proud of you, and we love you. And uh, it's been exciting. You've literally been a part of this church your entire life, your entire life. So the different ministries, the different youth pastors, different ones have ministered to her every Wednesday night, every youth camp. I remember two youth camps ago, I think you got sunburned. I tried to tell you that you wouldn't listen. Everybody thinks that uh, Florida Sun's different from Tennessee Sun, and it is. You can actually, but uh, been such a joy in every, every area of life and every area of leadership has just blessed the church, and we're proud that she's a part of the church, and we're proud of her for graduating. There, there is a high percentage of students in America that do not graduate from high school, and there's also a very high percentage of graduates that do not go on to a university, to university or college of their choice. So she's made some good decisions surrounded by good people, and her special sister, Abigail, we honor Abigail today, who's actually growing. And Abigail, I just learned last week that you can actually talk a lot. And you have good things to say. She seems to be so, she's like Clark Kent, mild-mannered, so laid back. But last Friday night, I mean, she got up and talked, and it was incredible. And, of course, we love Gail. There's no one. Uh, Gail's been with us almost from day one. And uh, most of you did not know this drives all the way from Chattanooga and uh, never never misses Sunday morning. Just so faithful. And if she's not here, her tithe is here. We love this family. We love what God has used us to bless them, and we're looking for even greater things on down the road. But Hannah, are you ready? Notice my, my glasses are not going to show. I'm doing that a lot now. Oh, you perfections. Oh, oh, my black one just, well, there, there you have it. So I'm double blessed, double vision. Should write a song, Double Vision. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know. And you're the girl who'll decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care. About some you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there in the wide open air. Out there, things can happen and frequently do to people as brain as you. And when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places that you will go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flowers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang, and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. 
except, look at somebody say except, when you don't because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true, that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch and your game will fly on and you'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump and the chances are then you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. Do I have a witness? You will come to a place the streets are not marked, some windows are lighted, but mostly they're dark. A place you can sprain both elbow and chin. Do you dare stay out? Do you dare to go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right, or right and three quarters, or maybe not quite, or go around back and sneak in from behind? Simple if not, I'm afraid you'll find, for a mind maker upper to make up his mind. You can get so confused, then you'll start into race down long, wiggly roads at a breakneck pace and grind on for miles across weirdish, wild space, headed, I fear, towards a most useless place, the waiting place. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no or waiting for their hair to grow. Except everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite, waiting for the wind to fly the kite, waiting around for Friday night, or perhaps waiting for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or just another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not for you. Somehow you'd escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where boom bents are playing with banner flip-flopping once more, you're right high, ready for anything under the sky, ready because you're that kind of girl. Oh, the places you go, there's fun to be done, there's points to be scored, there's games to be won, and all the magical things you can do with that ball will make you the winniest winner of all. Fame, you'll be famous, as famous can be, with the whole wide world watching you win TV. Except when they don't. Because sometimes they won't. I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too. Games you can't win because you'll play against you. All alone. Not alone be something. You'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much that you won't want to go on. But on you will be foul, on you will go, though your enemies prowl. On you will go, though the huck and crocs howl. Onward up many a frightening creek, through, though your arms may be sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far, far and face up your problems, whatever they are. You'll get all mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure where you step. Step with care and great tact, and remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft, and never mix your right foot up with your left. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. 99 three-quarter percent guaranteed. Kid, you will move mountains. So be your name, be Buxman or Bixby or Bray, or Mordecai, Alley, Van Halen, O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way.
you put your hands this way. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for this gift that came from China. It's been such a special part of our church and our life and our family. We ask you to anoint her, to bless her, to build a hedge of protection around her as you built around Job, that the enemy cannot distract her or frustrate her or bind her, that she will remember all the things that she learned at youth at home, sermons on Sunday morning, and all of that will just shine in her heart and spirit, that she will find the path that you have for her. God, use us to nurture her, to mentor her, to train her, to always have time for her, to prepare her, and to support her in every area of life she chooses. We trust her. We trust her decisions. We trust you to guide her and confirm her decisions. In Jesus' name we pray. And you all said, amen. Can we give Hannah another special hand clap of appreciation? Congratulations. Would you like to say something? Okay. <laughs> hey, if you have a Bible, go with me to Romans, the eighth chapter. And reading today from the Amplified, which is an awesome translation, a little, a little wordy. Romans 8 already, look at your neighbor and carefully, look at someone say carefully, carefully say, you ready? Get your ship together. Get your ship. Go, go fist somebody and say to them, get your ship together. You're writing that down? Make sure you spell it right now. Make sure. Get your ship together. We're looking for one word in this passage, and I think that we'll know what it is when we get to it. Romans 8 and 14, again, reading from the Amplified. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For the Spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship in the bliss of which we cry, Abba, Father, Father. The spirit itself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are all children of God. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Only we must share his suffering if we are to share his glory, to share his suffering, if we are to share his glory. For a few minutes this morning, I would like to talk about three different ships, relationship, stewardship, and fellowship. And as you look at each one of those ships, more ships will be introduced, and we will carefully remind you that we are here today to learn how to get our ship together, how to get your ship together. The word I was looking for there is suffering. It's translated also struggles. When I think about the struggles that we have, I think about that song that says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me on. What a powerful truth. I think everyone here today can relate to the idea or the fact that 
they have been through some stuff. There have been some struggles. There have been some frustrations. But it seems like when you're just about at your wit's end, frustrated, then favor, divine favor that can only be God's comes and blesses us in such minute ways that a lot of times we miss God. He wasn't in the storm. He wasn't in the thunder. He wasn't in the lightning. He was in a still, small voice that he spoke to his son. Past couple of days, there's been some. There's been two opportunities when I've actually seen God divinely step in and honor. Last Friday night, I was honored to be the Combs's guest as Hannah graduated, and I left here way early to get there on time. It was about a five-hour drive. Got outside of Atlanta, and I mean, there was a traffic, the traffic jam, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This was the traffic jam of traffic jam. And I sat there, and I sat there, and I sat there, and I said, Lord. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't do something, I'm going to be late. I don't want to be late. I want to be there when it when it starts. And what was so crazy, the reason that it was a traffic jam is that there was a wreck on the other side of the freeway, and everybody was slowing down to look at that wreck. I mean, how stupid is that? That you'd want to slow down enough that you could get whacked or hurt or wounded. So I blow through. I get there almost on time. I miss about four or five minutes, but I get to see. Um, Hannah Dance, I got to hear the speakers and the testimonies, and it was, it was really it was really good. Well, Pastor Billy called last week, headed to uh, Honolulu with his precious wife to preach for a friend of ours, James Morocco First Assembly in Maui. He calls and listen, said, I really need you to take care of the church Saturday night. Did you come in and did you take care of the church and minister? And I said, I would love to do it. So I left Phoenix City about 8.30, 9 o'clock Friday night, leaving the graduation, and my intention was to get on 280 and all the way to Cordell. It was a, it was a, it was marked on the freeway. It was there. My 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 MapQuest was not working correctly, so I took off on this journey. Stopped and got me a Red Bull and a bag of Doritos and headed on the road. Well, I do not know how. I have absolutely no. I I don't know how I did. I got on the wrong freeway. I stopped and got directions twice from two police officers that led me the wrong way. And finally, I found myself on Interstate 75 at Exit 41, and I wanted to be at Exit 101. So I got on the freeway, blew to, to north back to Cordell, about 120 miles out of the way. I go, I head, I get to the log cabin. When I get to the log cabin, for some reason, I cannot get the key to open the gate. I literally cannot, and I'm frustrated. I don't have a flashlight. I got my phone. I'm what, it's like 1.30 in the morning. I'm wanting to get to bed so I can get some rest. And so finally I said, Lord, you just gotta, you just got to help me. I'm probably not going to open this lock, and I don't want to walk from here because it's a long ways to the cabin. You know what? The next time I tried the lock, it worked. I don't know what happened, but I just, you know, I asked God, and he did it. So when I opened the gate, I did not know until the next day. Look at somebody said the next day that it had rained four inches in an hour. So when I got on the sandy road, if you've ever been in South Georgia, all the back roads are sandy, they're hard packed. When I got on the sandy road, I happened to see a little bit of water, but I didn't think any big deal about it. Well, the next thing you know, I have buried Keith's car in sand. I have literally buried it. I can't go forward. I can't go back. I can't go left. I can't go right. I'm a long way from the cabin. There's absolutely no one to call. There's no one. There's there's no truck. I don't know anybody in that area that would come at one. I don't know that would come at nine o'clock and help me, much less one thirty in the morning. And so I'm I'm in this car. I go, oh my lord, I've I've got Keith Stark. I don't know what we're gonna do. And so I said, Lord, I really really need to get this car unstuck. I just could you do that for me? I really need you to do that. 
And I don't know, I just got to kind of work, working it back and forth. And lo and behold, I got out. God helped me. I went around to the other gate, came in through the house. When I got to the house, a tree, and I didn't know this, had been struck by lightning and knocked out the power. There was no electricity, so I fumbled around with my camera. I managed to find a candle. God helped me with the candle. And then you've got to understand the, the, the frame of mind that I'm in. It's 1.30. I'm a little tired. I'm a little frustrated. And I'm not normally fearful. But if you've ever been to the log cabin, you will know that I have my own wall. And on that wall, I have eight dead animals. And then on that wall, there's a big old moose. There's a stag uh, deer over here. There are bobcats. There are foxes. There's deer. There's rams. There's that, the emu thing. And I wasn't paying attention. I did not know that my host had rearranged the furniture. And he put a bear rug over one of the seats with the head and the jaws of the bear rug in the seat. Well, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to sit here a minute, just kind of just unwind, just chill out. Okay, sit down right on the bear, shine my little phone light. And I thought, oh, my God, this bear is going to get me. There's a live bear in this cabin. And so then I started shining and, and looking. And all these animals were like looking at me like it's my fault they're there. Hello. And they got this ominous look. They got that, they got that glaze. So when I go to bed, I go to sleep, and I leave the candle lit. I said, Lord, please don't let the house burn down in the middle of the night. But I left the candle in so I could see what I was doing. So the next morning, I get out. I head. The electric company is there. Three guys are working on the, on the, on the power. And when I pull out on the main drag, I hear this weird thump, thump, thump. Pulled over. I had a flat tire, the front left tire. Then I realized now I've got to get to Tampa. I've got to preach. I've got to get ready. I've got to get, uh, I got to get sorted everything out. And so I opened up the trunk, found the jack, and lo and behold, there was a clamp thing that held the jack that I didn't know. It got a little rusted. And so you need a pair of channel locks to undo the thing. Well, I walked back up the road and said, guys, and this, this is what kind of bothers me. I'm not sure if they thought that I was old and felt sorry for me. But I said, guys, I'm in trouble. i got a flat tire. i got to get to Tampa. I can't get my spare loose. Can you help me? All three guys stopped doing what they're doing. Walk. you got to know South George. Just good, I mean, these are good old boys. These are good, good old boys. You might be a redneck. These were good old, good old boys. They got loose. They went over. They jacked the car up. They took the spare, uh, put the t bad tire, put the good tire on, put the spare back in the trunk. And I had, I had $40 that I was, I was going to, because if I'd have called the tow truck, it'd been a hundred some odd dollars. So I tried my best to give them. And they wouldn't take it. They said, "No, we don't." Said we, we don't want your money. Well, thanks, guys. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know how you know how much I appreciate this. And the rest of the journey was pretty much normal. I got there. I ministered. But when you think about the little things that God does that you don't understand or comprehend, I went to the Dad's log cabin to paint the gazebo. I don't know why I committed to paint it, but I committed to paint it. And uh, we got there. They're in, they're in a tizzy. They're in a frantic. Dad has lost his keys. He was mowing. He was in the boat with me, painting on the on the on the dock, and so we shut down. We we start walking. We start looking, and we know that Woody's is going to charge one hundred ninety five dollars to make a new key because it's got the pod, it's got the battery, or the remote, and so we've we've done this before. So we know it's going to be about a hundred ninety dollar window. I start walking where Dad is mowed. I walk out the gazebo. I walk in the in the backyard. I'm walking. I'm walking, and then the friend just stop, and I say, Lord. My parents really don't have 
$5,000. I really need you to help me find the key. I really need you to help me find the key. So I walked around the backyard, and if you've been to the log cabin, there are big ropes that, that lead you down to the gazebo. And on the, on the rope was a pair of, of jeans, and they were wet. And I just assumed, the first time I saw them, I just assumed that surely they checked those pockets. And something said, or something nudged me to check the pants pocket. I go over, lo and behold, the kids, they're in the, I start crying. I start, because I realize God doesn't just care about the earth and the moon and the sea and the stars. He cares about little things that seem insignificant. There's no thing too small for God. As I was thinking about the, about the, the favor and the blessing that we're entitled to and the struggles that we go through. And when I think about struggles, I think of um, a struggle that this guy by the name of Jacob, I mean, every day could relate to struggles because when he was in his mother's womb, he's wrestling with Esau. He's wrestling with his twin. And mom is so freaked out, stuff going on. She's never had any children, first time pregnant. And she's so freaked out by all this stuff going on that she prays and says, God, what's going on? And God said, there are two nations in your womb, and the older shall serve the younger. And they are even now, they're wrestling in the flesh. They're wrestling in their womb. And you know the story. Esau was born with Jacob's hand on his uh, ankle, trying to pull him back into the womb because he won the firstborn blessing. But Esau born, and you know the story. Jacob, with the help of his mother, deceived their dad and God. And when they got the birthright, the Jacob left the house and never saw his mom again. His mom will, will die later on in childbirth. He leaves his father. He'll never see his father again. His father dies of old age. But he has left an enemy at home called Esau. And you know the story. It was like one struggle. Look at somebody. One struggle after another. He fell in love with a young lady. He went to marry her. The dad said, you've got to work seven years. He worked seven years. And on his wedding night, he realized that dad has switched the girls. He got Leah instead of Rachel. And, and, I, and I, I, I'm assuming he, he went back to Laban and said, I want, I want Leah. He said, oh, well, Leah will cost you seven more years. So here she's, he's worked 14 years for a wife, and Moses won't cross the street to buy our, our date a donut or a brownie. Anyway, that's neither, <laughs> that's neither, that's neither, that's neither here nor there. So all this stuff. The uncle is a snake just like, well, the uncle's sister is the one that deceived the dad. So, so Jacob is working for a crook. He's had his wages changed seven times. All kinds of things are messed up. So he finally goes to follow the, the father-in-law says, hey, we're going to get out of here. This, this is not going well. We're going to leave. And so he takes what belongs to him. We know Le- uh, Rachel keeps the family god, the heirloom, and hides it in her tent. They get on down that Esau's coming to meet him. And, you know, I thought about, I thought about, the things that you ignore or the things that you just blow over when you're younger, sooner or later could come back to bite you. There's just a possibility. So Jacob finds his way. He's going home. And the threat that he left 20-some-odd years ago is there to meet him. The very thing, his childhood fear, his childhood, the, the things that he sowed when he was younger. Well, you know the story. Esau and Jacob had favor. God changes Jacob's name. Israel, but not without a lot of struggle and not without a lot of turmoil. When I think of shifts, and, and this is my shift that I want to think about today, when I think about shifts and I think about some of the things that you can do in the ship and some of the things that you'll have in the ship, I, I got my ship here. I just kind of get in here without getting hurt too bad. Hey, 
That's a pretty cool ship. Okay, five things that you will find in a ship. Anybody? Five things, everything but an anchor. What is it? What else? Paddle, paddle, paddle. Here's a paddle. A paddle. The paddle's for direction, so you know where you're going. What else could you find in a ship? A fishing ship. A net. A net to cast out and, and to catch fish. What else could you In case there's snakes. And inside the ship, if you're hungry, honey bun and a Red Bull. What else have you got in the ship? Oh, a ram's horn. Now, why would you have a ram's horn in a ship? The Sea of Galilee was so foggy that when the guys set out to fish, there would be fish in the Sea of Galilee. That was foggy. They would blow the ram's horn to let another ship know that they were in the area. You know, I think about the ram's horn. I think of a call to worship. I think when you when you realize who you are in Christ and what Christ means to you, he's not just a God that we serve. He's not just a, a, a deity that we fear or we're intimidated by. The Bible says, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And Melissa, I have learned that adopted children legally have more rights than a birth child. They're just something that something about being adopted, not just being adopted in the family of God, but our names change. And in this relationship of name change, you'll find it's not just relationship, but it's also sonship. And when we realize that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ and everything he has, the Bible says that we can have. And then when you look at this a little bit more, you begin to look at discipleship, that while you're in this ship, there are things you want to do for the kingdom, for the glory you want to grow. We should be accomplishing something in life towards maturity. Do I have a, a, a friend that would say, hey, man, there, 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 should be, there should be signs of growth and signs of things that we have to when I saw the, when I got the honey bun, I got to thinking about tasting seeds. The word of God is sweet, so obviously we've got to have honey buns. We've got to have the word. And then I saw the net. The net reminds me of a day that they were all out fishing, and they'd fished all night long, hadn't caught a thing. And somehow Jesus hollers out at them and says, hey, have you caught anything? They said, no, we fished all night. We haven't caught a thing. We're burnt out. We're tired. We're coming in. He said, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Now, you've got to understand that the difference between a sea and an ocean has waves. A sea has tides and current. So to fish the, to fish the current, you want to throw the net away from the, away from the boat so the current takes the net out. If you throw the net with the current, the net goes back under the boat. Is that, does that make sense? So there's a certain way to throw the net. And these guys have thrown this net for years. These were seasoned professional fishermen. They knew what they were doing. And when Jesus told them to cast the net on the other side of the boat, Mish, that was the worst possible thing that they could do because they'd take the net right under the boat and they wouldn't catch anything. Nevertheless, look at someone and say, nevertheless, because it was Jesus, they obeyed and responded. And the Bible says that one boat, that one boat could not uh, hold all the fish. They had to get another, another boat to come and help. And I got to thinking about provision. I got to thinking about favor, the little piddly things that God does for us because we are in relationship with him. One thing that did not make it the ship that every ship needs, what's this for? To build the water. Because sometimes your boat could take on water. 
And when I think about boats taking on water, I think about Jonah. I think about Jonah being God's child, God's evangelist. He was literally the man for the hour. He was entire nations were coming to God, and he was he was good at what he did. And as he closed one meeting out, God said, "I want you to go to Nineveh." We're not sure why he was prejudiced. We're not sure why he refused to go, but he got on a going the wrong, and a storm literally from hell ravaged the ship. Well, somehow Jonah is in the belly of the ship sleeping. I don't know if he's had a couple drinks or what's going on, but he's sleeping through the storm, and they start throwing everything overboard. They start bailing water, and then they find Jonah and said, listen, there's, there's something going on here. This is not normal. This is a spirit, and we're about to be destroyed. And Jonah said, I'm the guy. Throw me overboard, and you guys will be okay. And you know the story. They threw him overboard. The storm subsided. Jonah made it to the beach. He preached the sermon, and then of it was saved. The second ship I want to talk about, if I can, is the ship of stewardship. God has given us the ability to be blessed so that we can bless others, obviously. When I was very, very young, I'm trying to remember, Courtney, it's probably about eight or nine years of age, my mom every Saturday night would hire me to iron my dad's handkerchiefs and the pillowcases. I don't know why she wanted the pillowcases ironed, but I, I ironed his handkerchiefs, pillowcases, well, I got a penny for the handkerchief, and I got five cents for the, the pillowcase. So that night, I'd be ironing. I remember it was like black and white TV. The witch was on. I was watching Bewitched, and I'm ironing stuff. And, the, and when I got, Brother, Brother, Brother Jerry, when I got paid, I wanted, I, I wanted to be, when I got done, I'm, we paid right then. And so I go tell my mom, hey, I've got like 22 handkerchiefs. I've got like eight pillowcases. You owe me like $1.30, $1.40. And they would pay me right there on the spot. But my, my mom always taught me the night before, get your tithe ready for tomorrow. And so I had my own tithe envelope, and I'd write under my name, and then I'd write like like five cents tithes and five cents offering, and I'd put that in the in the plate. And I'm sure the clerk, I'm sure the guy or girl that counted, I'm sure that they were frustrated. I'm sure that was a little extra they had to go, and they may have thought it was so insignificant. But I learned at a very young age the power of tithing and what God can do when we are obedient to him. We've been given talents. I'm reminded of the guy that had ten talents, three talents, and one talent. Two guys went and invested, brought something for the kingdom. The other guy invested nothing. We are held accountable for what we do, not just with our money, but with our time. When he went to the garden, you remember what he asked him? Could you, could you not pray one hour? Just give me, give me one hour of the day. That's all I'm asking. Well, Pastor Rhonda is in this uh, uh, power clean mode. And what she would do, she'll set the alarm for one hour, blow through like the Tasmanian devil. And I mean, while you're trying to watch TV and drink, she'll be putting the pillows where they go and putting them. And she'll say, don't knock the pillow. And you're sitting on the couch trying to enjoy the couch. And she's doing all the, she has the pillow ministry, doing the pillow ministry. Then she'll go upstairs. You hear the back and her kind of stuff going on. And it's like she has learned that if she times herself and says, okay, I'm not going to be distracted. Anybody else? Is there anybody else in the building? Melissa, you do that? Uh, well, so the reason she's done that so well, I decided when I painted the gazebo, I decided, you know what? I'm going to give it two hours. I'm going to give it my very best. I'm going to go after it. And in two hours, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave. And you know what? It seems to work when you take a designated amount of time and set it aside for this purpose. It seems like you get accomplished what you desire to get accomplished. And, you know, when you're when you're part of the body of Christ, there really isn't like a, 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 a 
a list of volunteer chores that you can do. But God begins to bring things to your heart, whether it's a widow, whether it's an orphan, whether it's a single mom, whether it's Celebrate Recovery, whether it's, whether it's an alms ministry, whatever it is, God puts in our heart and spirit the ability to do what we were called to do if we would just simply keep our ears open and listen. Do I have a friend in the building? So when I, when I think about this, this stewardship, God has promised me, if I bring the tithe into the storehouse and the offering in the storehouse, God said he will bless it. And Pastor Ruben, there have been seasons of Outback and there have been seasons of Arby's. And I've learned if you put enough sauce on folks, they both taste the same. There have been, there have been times I can, I can remember, and I was, reflecting, I was reflecting today, but I can remember not once, not twice, but maybe a dozen times that I would go, Cheryl and I would preach, and they would give me an envelope, and I never even opened it, never looked at it, and gave it to the pastor's wife because I, I realized most pastor's wives just need a blessing, they, anything to in, encourage them. And every time it seemed like that I sowed away, the Lord rewards me. And what is so funny, the zero seemed to follow the amount that I sowed. Does that make sense? I mean, I can literally tell you that I sowed $100 in this widow, and like three days later got a check for it. Or I, I would sow this amount in a pastor's wife. I'd go to the next church, and they would give me, give me an honorarium. That was scary. It's amazing. God blesses everything that we sow everything we touch, everything we speak to, as long as the soil is fertile. He doesn't want our tithe going to, I mean, we, sell, we support television ministries, we support missions, but God says bring the tithe in the storehouse, I'll bless it, and I'll rebuke the devourer. Aren't you glad that the devourer is rebuked? The, th the third kind of ship that I want to talk to you about is simply the ship of fellowship. If you go with me to Hebrews 2 and 12, I want to show you a passage of Scripture. If you've been with me a while, you know what, I'm going to go. Who has a King James version of that? King James, Hebrews 2 and 12. No King James in the building? Oh, back here, Miss Gill, let me borrow your, there's a, there's a point, there's a point that I wanted to make. And here's the point. For some reason, when they translated the King James Version of the Bible, in the Gospels, you'll find all the words of Christ in red. And they stopped there, I think, the first chapter of Acts. They stopped there. There are other expressions in the New Testament that Christ made that are not identified as his words. I don't know why they did that, Cheryl. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why they didn't stay with it all the way through the book of Revelation. But I want to show you a statement found in Hebrews 2, verse 12. This is Jesus talking. Look at two people say, this is Jesus talking. I will declare... Thy name, that's God's name, unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Let me, see, let me read it again, knowing these are the words of Christ. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Two things happen when we come to the house of God. And when we come in the spirit of fellowship, the spirit of restoration, 
and the spirit of discipleship and lordship and friendship and all those things attached to that. God gives us one another to practice on as much as we possibly can until we get it right. That's why the word says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, especially as you see that day approaching. And there are Bible scholars, there are prophetic ministries, there's teaching right now that, that Becky, that, that our government has never been where it's at right now. It's never been there. And our, our government is in denial. The President of the United States says that ISIL is not an Islamic-based uh, movement. Dead wrong. Dead, dead wrong. So we are, we, are, we are in a generation right now that I believe is in trouble. When Jesus said that this gospel has preached all into all the kingdoms for witness, when we put those satellites up there, Kelly, right now, every single nation of the world is being bathed by the word of God. It's amazing. It's credible. And the Lord said in that day there will be a great revival, be a great response. We know there's Christians dying in Syria, Christians dying in Yemen. We know that now the church is under attack, and it looks like that attack is trying to come to America. But when he, he said, when you see all that, get ready because my return is at the door. So we are so close. We are so close to the second coming of Christ. The importance of us gathering together, first of all, just, just the fact that you're here, that you're participating, that you're a part of the praise, part of the worship, touches the heart of God. And when you're not here, this your empty chair. I mean, our girls are at a prophetic summit this morning, and every one of those empty chairs represent one of them. And they are important when they're there in their place, in their seat. And when two or three gather together in his name and begin to agree, when two or three begin to praise and worship, it is unbelievable how God begins to respond, how God begins to move. That's why we are important one to another. But something happens when we begin to declare the name of God and our praise and our worship. Jesus comes and walks up and down the aisle, and he begins to speak to us the names of God. And you know what? He doesn't just stop right there, but he, he invades this auditorium with 12 different compound names. I'm not going to go into all 12 of them. But what will happen if you're here this morning and you are in trouble financially, Jesus will walk by you and he'll begin to declare Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. If you need a healing in your body, Jesus walks by and says, Jehovah Ropha, and all of a sudden that name of healer is applied to you. If you feel alone, you're going through a divorce, going through a separation, the, the banner, Jehovah Nissi. If you're really troubled about money and finances, Jehovah Shalom. So that's what happens when we praise and worship. We come where we're at. He knows the needs of his people, and he begins to declare unto his people the things that God has for them. And that is incredible. That is incredible to know that we are covered. The other thing that happens, and I noticed today that Christine took off on lead, and then I noticed that Josh and, and uh, um, Chris and Leanne begin to harmonize, and I begin to hear that harmony. There's something that happens when we begin to sing and minister. The Bible says that Jesus joins our praise. How crazy is that? I mean, literally joins our praise. And so, you know, because of because God said to make a joyful noise in the Lord, that means that Austin, that means that angel, that someone else I was standing by the day that sounded terrible. I don't remember who it was. But you know what? To keep to the to the to the Lord, this is hard, this is hard to comprehend. It doesn't matter how bad it is. When Noah went through his storm and got on dry land, the first thing that he did 
was he offered a burnt offering. And the Bible says the burnt sacrifice went up and got the attention. That, that means that God, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be silky. Just the effort, just the attitude that when you begin to declare his name with one another, his presence comes down in all those things. And two or three agree in my name. That's why the church is important. That's why the Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I have friends. I, I have friends that they will tell you, well, I go out in nature to worship God. I see God in nature. I see God, you know what, get cancer. And then ask nature to pray for you. Get, get depressed and ask, ask nature to deliver you or set you free. Point well taken. There, when, when God says bring it to the storehouse, come and worship, come be a part, there's a, there's a corporate anointing that's applied. And there's an individual anointing that's applied. So corporately, we're blessed. And you know what is so funny? Your words and my words together get the Lord's word. And God stops what he's doing in heaven. And he looks down and says, oh, they need some healing. They need some finances. They need some encouragement. They need some joy. They just need direct. You know what? They just need a couple of little favors just to remind them that I'm still in control. And I, if I can do a little thing like show you where the car keys and I can do a big thing and I can save and heal anybody you bring to my presence, that's what God's word and his name is declaring. Amen. This will be my only conclusion. Once you get out of the, I, I don't want to call it a rut because that's not fair, but once you get out of the pattern or the mindset of coming to the house of God, it's tough to get back in and be a part. Most of us, husbands and wives, are working. Most of us are tied up all day Saturday doing stuff around the house, stuff that needs to be done, or working. So now Sunday's become the day that we just sleep in, take it easy, chill. In God's calendar, Sunday is the first day of the week, not the last day of the week. And that's why he said on the first day of the week, bring your first fruit, support the kingdom of God. On the first day was when he, when he rose from the grave. So there's a reason why God wants us to honor Sunday and wants us to be a part of Sunday. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, in, in, my, in my brain right now, I think yesterday I thought of over 100 people who come to this house. They're not going anywhere because they simply stopped going. But when you get back into the process of going, get back to where you're supposed to be, it, it's, it preaches a message to the world. When your chair is full of you, like that, when your chair is full of you and you're supporting your tithe, tithe and offering is a trust issue, you trust the leadership of the house, and when you walk in that fellowship, God puts those people in your life, then again, any two can turn things around in your life. So, so allow the Lord to obviously honor your coming, being a part. And today, I just like some little favor, some little some little thing completely off the wall. I'd like you to ask him something so obsolete and so minuscule that if he did it, it would have to be him. And that way we're going to prove him and test him and see. So it's easy to get out of the pattern of being a child of God. I tell a story, and I don't know that I've told it here for years, but I tell a story of a um, major developer, multimillionaire developer, uh, pretty much 20, 30 years, one of the main builders in town, built a lot of great stuff. He had a contractor that he used, and he subbed all of his work out to the contractor. So together, this developer and contractor had made a bunch of money, done a bunch of stuff together. And so one day, the developer calls the contractor in his office and says, hey, I got a project for you. 
I want you to build the nicest custom home you've ever built. I want you to spare no expenses. I want high ceilings. I want crown mold. I want jacuzzis. I want I want a showpiece. I, I need, I'm going to move. I need another place to move to. So I want you to spare no expense, do anything you want, and build me a mansion. And so he left the contractor. Well, the contractor got to thinking, mulling over the words and mulling over what the developer wanted him to do. And the contractor got an attitude. All these years I've been working for him, he's never done anything special for me. All the, th all the things I've done for him, and now he wants me to build him a Taj Mahal. So as the contractor began to build this house, he got sloppy. Didn't use the best equipment, didn't use the best furniture, the best carpet, the best. He just put it together, threw it together. It was big, but it was really kind of a fiasco. And then he calls the developer and says, hey, said, uh, your house is ready. I finished it. It's complete. And the developer said, no, that's your house. In all the years you served me well, I want to do something special for you. Be blessed. Can you imagine how that contractor felt? Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to get on the other side and stand before God and for him to tell me that my relationship was sloppy. For him to tell me that I wasn't consistent, I wasn't focused. I, I want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The things that I prepared for you from the foundation of the world is now yours. That's my desire. Whatever ship I'm involved in, whether it's relationship, stewardship, or fellowship, I want to get my ship together. Can we pray? What a great day. What a great season of worship. Thank you for kids that are learning in Sunday school. Thank you that we have heard your word and will apply it accordingly. Let us know that you love us and we are your children. We are the sheep of your pasture. Let us know that you gave us the